We're reading from Luke chapter 16 this morning. You can find it on page 1049 in your church Bibles. Luke 16, verses 1 to 15. The parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Maggie. Now, if I wanted to give us a, an easy ride this morning, if I wanted us to feel really comfortable about life as we left out of the doors later on, if, if you were here this morning and, and maybe exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and I want you to go away thinking, actually, that's, that's quite doable, that's quite achievable, then there's probably three areas, three big things to avoid talking about. First one, money and wealth. Uh, second one is talking about sharing your faith in Jesus with other people around you. And the third one is sex and relationships. If I, if I avoid those three, life probably feels quite easy, doable, comfortable. But the reality is, 
Jesus doesn't avoid saying things about those three things. Uh, nobody told Jesus this rule. And in fact, in, in Luke 16, in what we just heard Maggie read, uh, Jesus hits at least two of those, doesn't he? He talks about money and wealth. He, he talks about making uh, friends for eternity, about sharing our faith uh, with others. He's hit two of the big three. Maybe we're sitting there going, Phew, at least he didn't go for the third one. Reality is, if you just look three verses on, verse 18, he talks about, uh, he talked about divorce and adultery. So he does actually hit the whole hat trick uh, within one chapter of Luke's account. But why does he do that? Well, it's because Jesus does not call us to an easy life or to a comfortable life or for life to be as straightforward as, as possible. That's not the kind of life Jesus calls people to. He calls us uh, to be those who are forgiven sinners, living, following Jesus in a broken world. So two weeks ago, we were gathered here at the 1045 service. We were joined with others commissioned, uh, those planting the Living Hope Church Thermiston. And we heard from the end of uh, Luke 14 how, how Jesus says, if you truly want to be my disciple, you've got to be all in for me. You've got to put me in first place. You need to carry your cross. You've got to give up everything for me. And then last week, uh, we heard probably Jesus most, some of Jesus' most famous stories, the, the stories of lost things being found. And uh, we heard the invitation to rejoice again in the lost being found. And we move from maybe some of Jesus' most famous stories, you know, the, the lost coin and the lost sheep and the, the lost sons, this morning to probably Jesus' strangest story. This manager who stuffs over the boss who sacks him. And Jesus says to his disciples, says to us this morning, be more like him. And we go, huh? What? Really? What Jesus says to his disciples then, and he continues by his spirit to speak to us through these verses in Luke 16, well, the, the story might surprise us, but the, what Jesus draws out and wants us to live out actually, I think, is fairly straightforward to see. Use what God has given you. Use what God has given you now to gain friends for eternity. Use what God has given you now to make, gain friends for eternity. It seems to be um, Jesus' punchline. Uh, have a look. If you close your Bibles, it's at page 1050. Have a look at his punchline at verse 9. I tell you, saying to his disciples, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It follows on this story that Jesus tells of, uh, of a rich man who has a right-hand man who looks after all his business affairs. And we're not just talking a bit of, you know, a little bit of kind of eBay action or a small corner shop. This is a serious, substantial business, uh, business empire. And the accusation comes forward that this manager has been wasteful. We're not told whether it's true. We're not told whether it's due to dishonesty, incompetency, laziness. What we are told is that for this manager, his time is up. He's, he's been brought in to his meeting. He's been told he's got a few weeks left to work his notice, but he's dismissed. You cannot be manager any longer, he's told. And so whilst he works out his notice period, he's still got the company shirt you know, with the logo on. He's got his company email address. He's still able to do business on behalf of his boss. And so he picks up the phone 
and he does some big deals. It's as if the, the manager, facing this accusation of wasting his boss's resources, goes, fine, I will waste your resources now for my gain. And he goes about, doesn't he? He slashes these bills uh, of what people owe his boss. It's an expensive day for his boss. And for those this man does business with, they owe him. And that's the whole point. That's the reason he does what he does. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. He says, my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. He doesn't think he's cut out for manual work. I'm too ashamed to beg. He's too proud to go on benefits. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will, find, uh, will welcome me into their homes. The manager uses what he has in that moment to prepare for his future. If you like Jesus, it's a bit like Jesus telling a story of fund managers in a financial crisis. Do you, do you remember the last time the economy tanked back in 2008? There were stories that came out, weren't there, of people who realized what was going, what were going on and, and I don't know how they do it, sort of place all these great big bets so they win huge amounts of money, securing their future, even whilst terrible things are happening to other people. And it's as if Jesus says, pointing to the manager, maybe pointing to those fund managers in 2008, and says, be more like them. How does that make you feel? I wonder how that makes you feel. I, I, for me, I feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, what the manager did, what those fund managers did in 2008, it's more than questionable. Unethical, surely. And Jesus is saying, be more like them. But notice Jesus didn't say, follow the manager's every move. Do exactly what he does. Notice in, in verse 8, he, he, he talks about the man being the dishonest manager. And I don't think Jesus is inviting us to be dishonest and cause our bosses all kinds of grief. The, the man's boss commends him for what he does, but we're not told what he does afterwards. We're only given a glimpse into parts of this story. We're not told the whole story. So Jesus says, it's not about following every move of this man. It's learning a lesson from him. Use what you have now to prepare for what's to come. Look what Jesus says in the second half of verse 8. You might need to turn your page to get there. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Say, people who aren't followers of Jesus get this more than followers of Jesus do. The world around us gets this. Pensions, property, retirement plans. Only the world around us misses what's really important and gets the time scale wrong. It's not about preparing for retirement, but preparing for eternity. Because following Jesus opens our eyes to what's most important and opens our eyes to eternity. That's why Jesus lands verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use what God has given you now to gain friends in eternity. Use God's money for God's work. Now, I think it's important to kind of highlight that I don't think Jesus here is saying that we can somehow, through what we have now and how we use it, gain or earn our place in eternity. The welcome Jesus talks about in eternity is not God's welcome. It's not our entry into the kingdom of God. Because that costs far more than any of us have got. 
It costs far more than any of us can pay. It costs so much that God himself, God the Son, steps into history, uh, becoming one of us in Jesus, and yet with no sin attached to his name, but goes to the cross in our place to, to take our sin, to pay the cost for our sin, so that we don't have to, because we can't. That's how our welcome into eternity, that's how our welcome into God's kingdom is paid for. The welcome in eternity that Jesus seems to be talking about in verse 9 is, about, is the welcome from friends we make in this life now. People who come to faith in Christ through us and our lives and the stuff that we have. And I think, I think this makes sense because, well, last week, Luke 15, Jesus was inviting us to rejoice again in the lost being found, to rejoice in it, to be part of it, to be involved with the lost being found. And so there might be a direct link between using what you've got now and gaining friends in eternity. Just, just imagine uh, entering into eternity. So many wonderful things. We could be here for hours. But doors opening and people you recognize people who are precious to you in your life, people who were there because of you in part, people you've shared your life with and what you have with. Maybe it's a friend at work or from elsewhere who you've, who you've wanted to encourage or you've got to know and you've just kind of clicked. Maybe you've gone for a coffee or you've had a drink after work or you've chatted after playing football or, or you're just doing a project together. And you've been able to share something about your life following Jesus, what Jesus has done for you, what he means for you, what life following him is like. Maybe you've welcomed them into your home. You've, you've opened up what you've got. You've, you've eaten together. You've introduced them to, to other Christians, maybe members of your home group, your small group, or, or you've brought them to church or to an event that we put on, and, and they've encountered Jesus. Perhaps it's somebody who was met in a moment of need. Maybe... You met someone's needs, but you did more than that. You met the person. Or they met your needs, and a friendship developed. And it goes from meeting needs to meeting people to people meeting Jesus. And there's something of that behind why we're doing the whole project. And in the last few weeks, we've been budgeting for, for the life of the church, for the life of St. Luke's, uh, for this year. Uh, and... I've been keen to make sure there's, there's money in the budget set aside for us to, to do some invitational events, to do events that we can invite those around us, those we do life alongside, to come and to consider Jesus for themselves. There might be direct links between using what we've got now and those friends in eternity, but there also might be indirect links between how we've used what we've got now and those friends in eternity. It's the thought that there might be people who have come to know Jesus through what you regularly give. And as a church, we give, I think, just shy of £8,000 a year, uh, split across six different mission partners. If you want to know who our mission partners are, there's a poster over there on the wall you can look at at the end of the, the service. And their work. And it's, it's the thought that there might be children and young people, or people who were children and young people, who encountered Jesus because of schools work or summer camps uh, that were put on by some of those mission partners, who were street kids in India who were brought into a home. People in areas of the world, we would struggle 
to point out in the map, on a map, he received medical care, vital aid, and Bibles in their own language because of the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship. The experience of those uh, who have either been homeless or are homeless in Leicester, you find friendship and community and love through the bridge. What you give to St. Luke's goes beyond the lights being on and the heating being on. I mean, we could spend all our budget on the heating, and this winter we probably could. We could have it on all day, and it wouldn't get any warmer. Look at the place. So we choose not to spend all the money on the heating. So this is your warning. Bring a, bring a jumper and a blanket in the coming months. Um, but actually, because it's an important principle. So last year, we were able to give £5,616 uh, to support those who've been affected um, by the war in Ukraine. We were able to give every year six lever at the school next door a copy of Luke's Gospel, Diary of a Disciple. We were able to resource and support work with children and young people through uh, what happens in the hall right now uh, and our holiday club and our light party, which went live for booking on Friday and is now fully booked. Amazing. But the, oh, gosh, there's lots to do there, isn't there? All those opportunities, summer camps, weekends away, toddler groups, Running Hope Explored earlier this year. Other opportunities for people to investigate the Christian faith. All those things. I work with seniors in C3A. All those things can happen because of us using what we've got now to gain friends for eternity. Use what God has given you now to gain friends for eternity. Use God's money for God's work. To live this out, Jesus knows there's two things we need to remember. If we're going to really live this out, we need to remember two things. First one, remember everything that you have now has been given to you by God. Straight after Jesus has drawn out this lesson of, uh, of using what you have now to prepare for the future, to gain friends for eternity, do you see he moves on to talk about being trustworthy with what you've got. Jesus says what we have now whether you're here feeling like you've got very little and you're pretty nervous about the coming months or whether you feel like you've got quite a lot and it's just mild concern that you have for the following months, is all of what you've got has been given to you by God. And it's really important that whether you have little or lots or somewhere in the middle, that doesn't reflect what God thinks about you. He doesn't give lots to people who really impress him and little to people who need to pull up their bootstraps. I think I've mixed my metaphors there, but never mind. That's not what God says. What he says is, all that you have is from me. Everything you have right now has been given to you by God. The question is not, what do we give back to God? But what of God's do we need to hold on to? I imagine over the coming weeks, coming months, all of us are going to be looking at our finances. Whether you do strict budgets or you just kind of take rough estimates. We're all going to be doing that. And I just wonder if what Jesus lays out here, getting us to remember, getting us to live out, changes our approach to how we do that. Perhaps it's because we need to start with what we want to give and work out how do we live on the rest. Or perhaps it's going, actually, this is what it costs to live on. This would be enough, knowing that we need to be really careful about defining enough, because normally enough is always a little bit more than we've got. But being realistic, what does it actually cost to live on? Everything else gets given. 
Now, I recognize, I fully recognize that belts are being tightened at the moment. I know for some here, uh, these next few months are terrifying. No idea how you're going to get through them. And I don't, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that, but God says everything that you have is from me. These principles still apply. So the second thing we need to remember, remember what's truly valuable. Remember what's truly valuable. Jesus tells us to learn this lesson from the dishonest manager, to prepare for what's to come. But do you notice that guy had his timescales wrong? It's not about preparing for retirement. It's about preparing for eternity. He also had what's most important wrong. I suspect between us, we've all started a game of Monopoly. Fewer of us will have finished the game of Monopoly. And probably even fewer of us will have finished the game of Monopoly without falling out with each other. It's as if the story that Jesus tells, that man in the story, the manager, well, he's concerned with Monopoly money. And the world around us is concerned with Monopoly money. Because in Jesus, our eyes are opened and we begin to realize that that true riches come from belonging to God and being part of his kingdom. That's where there's true riches. And we begin to realize that what's in our wallets, and I've lost my wallet, it was over there last, and in our bank accounts, what's like Monopoly money? Now, Monopoly money, when you're playing Monopoly, is really helpful to play the game, right? Our money helps us now. It puts, you know, I'm very grateful. It allows us to wear clothes and have food and live in houses. But ultimately, it's not truly valuable. True riches come from God's kingdom. Look what Jesus says, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, not should not, you cannot serve both God and money. And then at the end of verse 16, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What's truly valuable? God himself. Yet I know how easy it is to be distracted by nice, shiny things. Ooh. Ooh. Do you know what? One day they won't shine. One day we can't take them with us when we die. And if we try, all we do is leave a load of stuff that future archaeologists will come by and go, why were they buried with all that stuff? We're to use what we have now to gain friends for eternity. And to do that involves making financial decisions. We all make financial decisions every day, from small decisions to big, life-shaping decisions. And in all those decisions, and particularly the big ones, I guess it's, it's important to ask, what's truly valuable? Is this decision that I'm making, we're making, our household is making, we as a church are making, is it going to help us take steps towards Jesus as we follow him? Or is this decision going to pull me back, pull us back from following Jesus? Jesus tells a story about a man who stuffs over his boss who sacks him. He says, be more like him. Use what God has given you now to gain friends for eternity. Remembering that everything you have right now comes from God. And remembering what is truly valuable. Let me pray. Holy Father, thank you that you are so generous. You are the most joyful giver. 
Thank you that in Jesus you open our eyes to who you truly are. And Lord, as Jesus tells that story and we scratch our heads and are surprised as he, he tells us to be more like that dishonest manager, I pray we wouldn't spend all our time in the surprised, but hear the punchline. We're to use what you have given us now to gain friends for eternity. Please, would you help us remember that all that we've got is from you. And for us to recognize what, what, what do we need to hold on to. And to remember what's truly valuable. That we're preparing not for retirement, but for eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.